You're listening to the Accordion to Me podcast with Veronique Medrano. On this week's episode, the doctor is in. We get to chat with Tejano artist and philanthropist Dr. Patsy Torres about her musical career shift from instrumentalist to vocalist, her rise to fame in the Tejano music industry, and her unique journey on getting her doctorate. As some of you know, early in 2020, I was in an accident. The consequences that you have to live with after can be a lot. You can lose your car, you can lose work and therefore money. And you can of course be super injured and have huge hospital bills to pay. No bueno. So if like me, you've been the victim of an accident, you need a professional to help you get the care you need. In case of an accident, you need a lawyer to protect your rights and your wallet and you don't have to look any further than that simple phrase by going to the URL incaseofanaccident.com for a free consultation 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And if the person that suffered the accident wasn't you, but maybe it was your tia or your abuelita or something, don't worry. Everyone at In Case of an Accident speaks Spanish. They can even take messages through WhatsApp at 888-990-0911. So if you or a loved one have suffered through a horrible car accident like me, visit the team at incaseofanaccident.com for more help. Just don't forget to tell them that Veronique Medrano from Accordion to Me sent you. Hi, everybody. My name is Veronique Medrano, and this is the Accordion to Me podcast, where we talk to different guests about life and the arts, according to them. And today's guest is Patsy Torres, a.k.a. Dr. Patsy Torres, with a PhD in education and organizational leadership. She's an edutainer by day and a Tejano legacy superstar by night. Billboard magazine has proclaimed Patsy Torres as one of the top female Tejano stars, and she has toured all over the world, including Japan, Korea, Philippines, Germany, Italy. I'm going to keep going. Spain, (laughs) Greece, Turkey, Mexico, and China. Thank you so much for joining us. Patsy Torres, or do I call you doctor? Do I call you, you doctor? You can call me Patsy. <laughs> it's a pleasure Hi, to Patsy. Hi, Patsy. I haven't I know. seen you in a long time. Well, I haven't seen anybody, really. Oh, my God. I was just, I remembered the first um, podcast that we were trying to get off the ground, or it was kind of like a, a program that we were trying to get off the ground, and we, we got to sit down and talk. That was about three years ago. Yes. You were in a really nice building and everything. Oh, yeah. And now we're doing it digitally and keeping ourselves safe. So how have tell us a little bit about what's going on in Patsy Torres's world. Last year, during the pandemic, when everything was was, you know, shut down, I just sat back and no rehearsals, no shows, you know, no appearances, nothing. And so I started getting on social media and seeing all this stuff and seeing all the misinformation and all the fake news. And I was watching the news and like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) And that's when I was inspired to start writing my songs. I wrote Noticias Falsas. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. And and so you were inspired during the pandemic due oh, to the yes. fake news I, I ended um, up to write that. After Noticias Falsas, I said, I said, wow, I came up with that pretty fast. I think I can do another song. And then I wrote another <laughs> song and then I finished an album. Oh, my God. 
I was about well, to say, you said two songs and then an album. So you had a full set of songs throughout just, the whole I pandemic. Just started, I started writing song after song. And I, I said, you know what? I can get an album done. And I got it done during the pandemic and released it. And then right at the end, when they started opening up a little bit, my band and I got together and did the, the video, the music video of Noticias Falsas. Oh. oh, that's awesome. And then I was doing little Zoom classes with some schools with the high school and different grades and stuff, just a kind of a freelance thing I was doing with some teachers that were friends of mine that, that uh, helped with the class. Also uh, working on my Patsy Klein tribute that's coming up in two weeks. I've gonna, seen that. It's rescheduled. So finally we'll be in El Paso, Texas at the Plaza Theater doing the Patsy and, Klein tribute. Woo. And so, um, you have a lot of firsts, Patsy. I'm, I'm going to go through. I'm going to go through some of them, and we're and we're going to go through them a little bit at a time. But for anyone who doesn't know, Patsy Torres is definitely for me. You know what? Billboard wasn't wrong. She's definitely one of the top female Tejano stars. She is a top female legacy Tejano star, and this is why I will list out the reasons why. So um, you were the first Tejano music artist to perform on national television. Uh, CBS's SeaWorld's Lone Star Celebration. Um, you were the first to perform a bilingual song on TNN Nashville Now show. And you were the first female to perform Tejano music overseas, as well as the first to perform at the San Antonio Symphony, Symphony. Orchestra. Yes, yeah. the Symphony Orchestra. And this was your music that was performed at the Symphony Orchestra, yes. correct? Yes. That was and the most then awesome. it was a song I wrote. Okay. It was a whole show. But they actually scored my song to the symphony. So I'm talking about violins and cellos playing my cumbia, te juro. <laughs> oh, nice. It was unbelievable. And I see another one. Uh, the first Tejano artist to film a music video. So wait, okay. Um, we're going to go through this one at a time. Okay. Miss. So we're going to call Patsy, Dr. Patsy, the first Torres. <laughs> so... <laughs> And but, you know, a lot of this uh, stuff I didn't even know, but uh, but that I started finding out as years went by. They go, you know, you were the first to do that. You're the first. I said, well, I didn't know. I mean, you just do it, right? Do it. <laughs> and and how does that feel? How does that feel like when when people are now at at this point in your career telling you like all these things that you did back then? Now you're the first person in the industry to do that. Well, I just feel excited that so many have done it since then. You know, because the whole future, I mean, to me, there's more girls now than there ever was. When I started in the music, there was barely any girls. I mean, you could count them on one hand. There was just barely really? anybody. And now there is so many girls out there and so much talent. Because and I remember right around, I would say around, well, like it was probably in the 90s, you know, and there was a, 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 all these girls were trying to get in, but a lot of them couldn't sing. I mean, I'd be, stopped in, <laughs> I'd be stopped in elevators. I would be at a restaurant and they'd start like, you know, auditioning for me in front of people. And and, uh, and what's, what's heartbreaking is when they're not good. But mm -hmm. the girls that I've been hearing here lately are fantastic. You're one of them, girl, sister. <laughs> Thank You're you. one of them. And Thank there's you. so much talent out there and and originality, you know? You're not sounding like everybody else. That's the thing, you know, because in the beginning, they're all trying to copy everybody. You can't tell who's who. But mm -hmm. there's originality out there, and these girls are talented, and they're hungry, and they work hard. You know, so yeah, and 
I always find it so interesting, like, especially, I mean, you're still in the industry, you're still making music and, and inspiring people. Are there any other firsts that I didn't mention that you've done that? I, that... <laughs> oh no, no, you tell me. <laughs> now you're, you're talking about when you started, cause that, that's so interesting because a lot of the times, a lot of people just assume that in the seventies and eighties, because it was kind of building up steam up until the nineties, um, that there was just all these women as Ooh. much as there are now. Now, Ooh. can you, can you talk to me about your experience as being one of the few, the things that you went through? Well, the only thing, well, first of all, none of the girls had, had, well, they did have band, like Lisa Lopez. Everyone knew who Lisa Lopez was and she was doing fantastic, but she didn't have a band. She was a single performer. Lara Canales had a band. And then uh, Janie C. Ramirez came along. She had a band. Elsa Garcia had a band. I mean, like you said, it's just a handful of people that were around back then. And there was a few more that were more uh, conjunto style. And uh, but other than that, that was it. And uh, the men dominated everything. And most of the women would just stand there and sing. They wouldn't move. They would just stand or maybe rock a little bit. I know you did not. I've seen enough photos of you that you were not, you were not that you were, you were moving and but you were. The thing. I started moving and that was different because I was kind of, uh, I was, I loved rock music. That's okay. why I was wearing spandex and lace and headbands <laughs> and boots and scarves. You know, so, very, so very like, uh, they call it hair metal now, but very like eighties. Oh, oh, I had big 80s. hair. Let me tell oh my you. <laughs> well, if you see the video of me, the one that was uh, the first music video, it was played on MTV. It was English. It was kind of a rock video. So that okay. was the first video. And it was done on film. It wasn't video. It was a film. And because a friend of mine, he was experimenting with film and gave me a great deal <laughs> and did a great production of it. Patsy, you're blowing my mind. So you were uh, you were the first Tejano artist on MTV? Yeah. Oh, yeah, now that you put it like that, you're right. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I so you were the... any more? Have there been anyone else on MTV? No. I, I mean, think... outside, I don't even think Selena's been on MTV. I don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Like, you're going like, to have to do your homework on that. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, my goodness. But still, that that's unheard of to have uh, an artist like in a Mexican language genre, even to do a, a even for you to say like, hey, there was an English song, but it was it was still on MTV. That that's still yeah. something so important and so integral to to the, the history of, of what we do. Now, when we talk about women in the industry at the time and any experiences that you've had, did you ever feel like there was a, a gender divide? Like it was clear that there was a reason why there were so few mo women, the way we, the way women were treated and, and what was going on behind the scenes. If you want to know the ugly truth is that the women were seen as, if you look at, if you look at gang members, right, there's a gang, right? And then they had the girl gang and the girl gang were expected to hang out with the guy gang, you know, get together. And it, it seemed like they expected all the girl singers to be with these guys. And I wasn't like that. I was like, no. It was like we were just meat. No, know? I yeah. yeah, I understand what you're you understand, yeah. right? Yeah, no, yeah. I do. So yeah, there was there so there was like almost a 
as gross as it sounds, and, and the reason why we, we have these conversations is because a lot of the times I see a lot of young kids, very young, entering the industry. And it's it's so important to just kind of clear clear the air as to the environment that you walk into. It's a beautiful music. There's a lot of beautiful culture to it. Yes. But there is an undercurrent right under the surface that, yeah, there's a lot of the way you look. There's an assumption and an expectation that your body is for sale. Yeah. And as, as nasty as that sounds, it, there's an assumption that your body is for sale. And and I can understand what you're implying is that it, it's not the beautiful fantasy of, oh, my God, I was because you broke out in high school. Am I correct? Did you? Did you well, your no, big I was breakout. just a trumpet player back then. I was only a trumpet player, so I was still protected. And okay. I, I was like, I was such a tomboy. The guys in the band were like my brothers. Mm-hmm. You know, they were, and I was a tomboy. I mean, I'd punch them if they gave me, I'd punch somebody. <laughs> I was like, no te dejabas. Peleando, you know. But uh, so it wasn't until I started going to college that I, we graduated from high school that the band started saying, Patsy, we need you to sing because we don't really need your trumpet playing. And I was the trumpet player for the band. And I, I started that. to sing just a little backup harmony because I had the ear for it. But when they decided to replace all the horn players with one keyboard player, and I was uh, on the chopping block. And oh, no. Said, well, if you could sing, we could maybe keep you in because, you know, a lot of these bands, now they're starting to get some girls to sing. And, and I was like, right then I was on my own. I was I just started college at San Antonio College to take my pre-med sciences and all that. So I was like. I didn't want to do it, but I was like, okay, I'll try. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm so glad that you did. <laughs> and, and I still tried to pull out so many times because it was conflicting with my school. You know, I was thinking, mm-hmm. well, I'll just do it as long as I can pay for my apartment, pay for my books, you know, because mm-hmm. I was on my own. I'd left home right away. But you were still out of San Antonio, but it's just like you were living independently at that point. Oh, yeah. I, okay. And I, re- I revealed this when I wrote my song, Papacito during the pandemic was I actually ran away from home. I had a very bad relationship with my father. Uh, He was an alcoholic. My mother couldn't do anything. He was just, you know, muy macho Mexicano. He was Uh from Mexico. I'm half, (laughs) I'm half (laughs) Mexican. My mother is American, but I couldn't stay. So I left and I was estranged for almost seven years. But when God brought us back together, when my grandmother, his mother died, I came to the rescue for my grandparents, you know, he just all of a sudden, just like a light switch, he just changed mm-hmm. and just came and started talking to me out of the blue. I was like, you're talking to me? Someone else <laughs> you're <laughs> like, is it someone behind me? me? <laughs> he wouldn't even talk to me. I mean, it was it, we were that bad. And oh. from that day on, I never had an argument or a fight with him till the day he died. And if that's not a blessing, that seven years is nothing when all the rest you know, we had a beautiful relationship, gracias a Dios. And the song I wrote, Papacito Mio, tells a story about it. And it, it was hard to write. It was hard to sing, hard to listen to, hard to do the video. But it, it was closure. And a lot of people could relate, people that didn't get along with their dad, but then made up or wish they'd made up. You know, and, But I was so blessed because everyone else fought with my dad. <laughs> I was the only one at the end that didn't fight with him. That's such an interesting dynamic because a lot of the times there's 
there's always that that difference. A lot of people talk about the good relationships that they have with their parents, but don't talk about the times in which there's just there's conflict. You know, you're growing up. Ooh. There's there's difference in in ideals and and in the way you want to live and and the fact that you were able to to write that. I, I want to say because you're saying it was hard to write. Do you ever feel like certain songs pull something out of you and that by the time it's done, um, you know, you feel this sense of catharsis, the sense of healing? Yes, definitely. Because when I released the song and then explained it, I'm celebrating my father. I loved him very much. And he made me I'm the way I am because of that, because I became so independent and strong, you know, if, if things had been different, I, I wouldn't be the same person. And the fact that we did make up and the fact that I have very faith, strong faith in God and in Jesus and that and then everything changed and our relationship completely changed. And I think I brought him more to Jesus also. So it was it was a blessing, you know, and those seven years is no big deal when I had the rest of his life with him. You know, so. And, and a good relationship. He was still fighting with my mom, my brother, sister. He was fighting with my nieces and everybody, but not me. We got along. And so my question to you would be, in a what-if world for anyone else who has, you know, a, a hard time reconciling a relationship with their parents, but yet they can't, it doesn't go past the, to the reconciliation part. What are your thoughts and kind of advice on that? One of the things I put in the song was something that kept us apart was pride. You know, oh, he treated me like this, or he said this, or she said that. Because I am, I'm, I can be stubborn and aggressive and stand up, you know, and don't want to be wrong. And what we have to realize is, you know, like, oh, he insulted me, or my, don't let your pride step in front of, of the love of a family member. They're our family, they're our blood. And, uh, Think about the good times. Think about the good things and the things you learn from them. And then understand that everybody has their problems. My parents were very young when they had me. And I came quick, you know, ruined the honeymoon. <laughs> and then four more after that, you know. Oh, my. And then the, my father had problems. You know, we were traveling. And, and there was just a lot of dynamics, you know, that, that made it hard for our lives. But the bottom line was he was a good man. And my mom was a, was a great woman and, and a, the most unselfish person I ever knew. And I was able to grab those, those pieces from them. And so, again, the message is don't let pride and anger or jealousy stand in between you making up with a family member. And, and look at what they're going through. Try to look at their life through their eyes. You know, sometimes when people fight like that, they've got these inner problems, inner demons in them. And that they need to overcome. And the biggest thing is forgiveness. I forgave my father. And the crazy thing was, I mean, I prayed and prayed. And when I forgave him, I, I released the anger. I released the thing like, I want to pay him back. And I, I want to be mean and show him, show him I don't love him. You know what I mean? Because I felt I wasn't loved. And when I forgave him, and then this whole thing, God brought us together and we had a great relationship. Out of the blue, one day, he just walks up and, and apologized to me. He said, I'm sorry I hit you. I'm sorry what I did. And I said, it's okay, Daddy, I already forgave you. But when he said that, I didn't realize there was still something there. And it was just like released. 
It was just released. When someone says, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? You have to forgive them. And it was a, a beautiful moment that I'll never forget. And I thank God for that moment. And for anyone that's having problems with a family member, or, or it could be even a dear friend that you've had all your life, it's, I mean, just step back and look at it. And what's really holding you up from getting back together or making up, reconciling? And if it's something that you can you can fix and that it is something that can be discussed and talked about, I always tell people like, hey, just leave the door open to have the conversation. If they are still, if the person is still carrying these demons and this baggage and they're not ready for that conversation, say your piece and walk away. Because I, I think, and I think that's something that's so hard. And it's something that I learned during the pandemic, that there was a lot of inner, inner things that I was still working through that I realized that sometimes I just needed to forgive the me that was then, because I, I was blaming myself and, and, and it wasn't so much blaming the other person because their actions, yeah, they weren't great, but it was more, I was so upset with myself for allowing that situation to happen. And once I realized that and, you know, gave myself that, that like, hey, you're human. Hey, exactly. this happens. It's a, it's a learning moment. Then it just feels so different. Now, you have been called an edutainer. And I mentioned <laughs> that at the beginning of the, of the podcast. And so I'm curious as to what that means, because I've never heard that topic before. I've never heard that term before. So what is it, what is being an edutainer involve? Well, for the longest time, whenever I perform, I tend to teach people things. I tend to educate them at the same time that I entertain them. And that's what Walt Disney talked about. He talked about entertain, but educate. And that's what came up with the word edutainment. And that made me an edutainer. <laughs> and then I was doing my school shows, you know, all yes. those years from 1990 to 2008, I think. I mean, doing all these, these high schools, one after another, all over the country and, and touching the lives of these kids and getting them to quit drugs and quit games and stay in school and not kill themselves. Kids actually came up to me and said, I was going to kill myself today, but thanks to you, I'm not going to do it. I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that was so many instances like that. People keep telling me, you need to write a book about all that stuff that they told you. But a lot of experience uh, from that. And you learn the compassion and you learn that you kind of remember what it was like when you were in high school, you know, or, and even younger, because I started doing middle schools, too. And they were just as bad as the high schools. Teen pregnancy, oh AIDS, gangs, everything. Same suicides, the same thing. So talking to these kids, I'd always counsel them every show. I would counsel 10 kids. And the stories I would hear and relate to them. And remember, you know, when you're that age, um, relationships mean a lot. Reputations mean a lot. Being liked. And, you know, when you're older, you're like, eh, forget you. You know, I'll just, <laughs> like you said, I'll just forgive you. Have a nice life. Bye-bye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And open, but don't let it hit you. No. <laughs> but I learned so much. Yeah. And I, and I was going to say, um, a lot of the reason that I ended up doing school tours myself was because of you. And because of the fact that there wasn't anyone in the industry and still nobody in the industry outside of, of you and I that is doing that type of outreach, despite all the opportunities to do so. And 
I didn't have those type of experiences that you had where, you know, kids were, were kind of bearing their soul in that Ooh. regard. But I had these kids that were just like awestruck. And I think it's more because of the area that I'm from, that somebody from Brownsville, somebody from a border town can go out and, and have thousands of followers on YouTube and be working full time as a musician and, and that that's attainable. And, and that's something that I think people need to understand is that different walks of life, like you don't have to, you know, go to a traditional school. Now there's so many options. There's vocational mm -hmm. school, there's trade schools, there's um, obviously community college and regular college. Like there's so many aspects and ways to learn. And that's really the beautiful part is saying, hey, educate yourself. I don't care what you do it in, but just yeah. do it well. Be the best be the best Lego maker, be the best whatever do and, and do it. Yes. We're meant to learn. Human beings exactly. are meant to learn. Uh, I love quoting Gandhi. Gandhi mm. said, uh, live like you're going to die tomorrow. Learn like you're going to live forever. Because some people go, oh, I'm too old. No, you're never too old. If you want to go back to school right now, you go back to school. You want to learn the ukulele or whatever you want to, you want to play a quote of the on according to you, <laughs> do it, you know, just do it. What are you waiting for? You know? Yeah. You've obtained nonprofit status for your positive force yes. tour programs. Yes. Um, and of course, what is that program and uh, how do you use it? How do you well, use your positive force? <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's uh, edutainment again. It's music mixed with education. And of course, because of the pandemic, it's been put on hold. So we're going to, and it's still, it's still on hold because we're not even sure with this Delta variant, if schools are actually going to stay open once they open. We don't know. Mm -hmm. Flu season's coming. Anything could happen. So right now we're cautiously just making plans because I have a, a board of directors uh, about what the things we can do and how we can reach out or how we can make it virtual because I've been approached to do the virtual show like I used to do, which would be kind of hard, you know, so I got to figure out how we would do that because the beauty, like you, like, you know, being in person to where the kids actually see you and can talk to you afterwards and ask you questions and you can answer them and, and inspire them and motivate them. So I do miss that. You know, if we have to do, Start with virtual. We'll just do it until we can do it uh, live. But because at least it's something. But we even have a puppet show. Oh my god, <laughs> that's little, so cute! Little bitty ones. <laughs> and so I was going to ask you about that thought, that idea of the difference between a live show and a digital show, and what your thoughts are on like a streamed show versus a live show. Is there a difference between the emotion that you get from it? Do you feel, or it just depends on the artist. Does it depend on the artist and, and how they, how they emote that kind of digitally can be projected? Well, with me, I mean, when I'm doing my concert, I'm looking at the audience the whole time. And especially when I was doing my school concerts, I'm, I'm staring at the kids because in the very beginning, you know, there, when I first started doing the shows, when the gangs were really bad and they didn't know what to expect because nobody was doing this. They thought I was just going to come and sing some songs and not talk and start saying things. And these, these gang members would be like, like back like this, like, yeah. Mm -hmm. And they'd be wearing their bandanas, their colors and everything. Cause back then they could do that. It's like, 
for some reason, the city didn't realize that we were gang infested. I didn't either until I started doing the shows. By the end of the concert, they were like, we are the world, we are the children. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd come up to me and hang, hand me their bandana and say, I'm quitting the game. Because I'd give a big speech about a friend of mine that died because of, of gangs. You know, and I, That's what I would do when I would do the concerts. I would share with them about my best friend that died of a drug overdose, about friends that died in gangs, about suicide, about AIDS, about teen pregnancy, everything. I would give them testimonials and, and then play the music in between, you know, to keep keep it interesting. So I wasn't just blah, 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 blah for an hour. Mm-hmm. And uh, it worked. What was it like producing an album during the pandemic? Was there differences? Well, I could really concentrate on it. I did it so fast. I didn't have all these other things going on that, you know, rush to rehearsal, rush to this, to that. You know, everything was just closed down. And I, in fact, during that time, I put up a whole brand new website. I learned how to do it myself. And I know you're good at that tech stuff. I'm so <laughs> yes. glad of you. You need to give me oh lessons. Oh, my God. Well, I'm more than happy to give you lessons. (laughs) So I've got my www.patsytours.com that I did myself. I have all my merchandise on there. My masks. (laughs) Your little mask with Patsy Taurus on it. I got, yeah. And I have another one that has a a faith mask and, and, uh, and those are selling really good. In fact, I just have a few left that I'm going to sell on the website, but that's about it. My music is on there, my videos and pictures and stuff. And so how did you feel, you know, learning how to do that for the first time versus, you know, obviously sending it off to someone else? You can sit there for and not realize that, you know, five hours can go by and you're just like, what? I've been sitting here for, I was like, sore. I was like, oh. (laughs) That's when you know, like it doesn't hit you until the soreness hits. You're like, like, why does my back hurt? (laughs) You start moving your back. The moment you start moving, then you look at the clock, then you look at the time, then you're like, oh my God, I've been sitting. <laughs> like, it's it's a process. Yes. Because, you know, you start playing around with the stuff and the next thing you know, I mean, hours go by. So I really respect these people that do that kind of work and just sit there staring at the screen. But I actually enjoyed it, you know, and but now I don't really have the time. I try to keep up with it and keep it current, you know, and stuff like that. I mean, I even have trouble keeping up with Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. It's oh. it's a lot. It is. A, it feels like a full time job. Now, uh, when you were touring uh, overseas, what what kind of um, allowed for that that force to happen for that for you to go overseas and, and be touring? Well, the first time it happened, it was because I had done the uh, CBS SeaWorld special. That was a national international program. And I was seeing so there was this big uh, tour called PACAF tour, which is a Pacific tour, and it's through the Air Force, and Gloria Stefan was supposed to do it, and for some reason she pulled out, for some reason she couldn't do it, and they contacted me, and I got to go, because it was during Hispanic Month, and we went to, that's when we went to uh, Japan, Korea, Hawaii, the Philippines, Guam, Okinawa, I mean, all these fantastic places, I mean, Oh, it was beautiful. We were in five-star hotels. So coming back from that, I loved it. We just started getting more calls to go do other ones because we were successful. And that's what started it. And boy, I really got bit by the bug to to go to these countries and learn a few words and, and 
check out the culture and the museums and the food and the people. And we made friends everywhere we went. It was beautiful. Now, would you go overseas again? I mean, obviously, once everything kind of chills out and, and people are more vaccinated, would you would you want to do another world tour? Yes, of course. I love I it. I mean, now at this point, at this point in time, do you feel that even people would be receptive to a, a Tejano Conjunto world Let tour? Let me tell you, even countries that they don't like Americans. I mean, they there's a lot of countries that don't like Americans. They loved us. They love musicians. I mean, I was <laughs> so they don't like time. they don't like the just regular tourists. They just want the musicians. The musicians I got musicians, Yeah, because if we were we were tourists walking down Tokyo, and we said, "Oh look, there's a parade," and there was all these these uh, Japanese guys going huh huh huh, and they had these big bandanas on with the with the Japanese flag emblem on it, and they're huh huh doing something, marching down and. My husband and I, hey, look, it's a parade, look. And then this, this white couple runs up to us and says, that's a protest against America. Let's get out of the way right now. We're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, then we go back to Yokota where we were performing because we caught the subway over there because it was our day off. And then over there, they're loving us. They're like, oh, so nice. Oh, you're so good. Oh, we love it. <laughs> you know? yeah, that's, yeah, that's so, that's so. Germany, that's same so- thing. Really? I love the accordion. It was just China. Oh, my gosh. China, the kids, I taught them to cumbia. (laughs) And it's so interesting because um, especially like cumbia in Japan is is such a big thing. Like there's a whole album by Japanese artists in in Japan who did a cumbia, but it's all Japanese. There's Conjunto J, there's the Japanese Conjunto band. You know, there's all these different bands out there that, that propagate, you know, our culture and, and talk about, just talk about the fact that like, that shows how they, good our music is. Exactly. Exactly. Let me tell you, I was made in Japan. What? I was, what? Made, I was made in Japan. Okay, you need to explain that. that like, we can't just put a, I can't just run around throwing bumper stickers made in Japan. What's going on? I want to explain it. I want okay. to explain it. My American mother came from, from Oregon. She was English, Irish, Scotch, German. My mm-hmm. Mexican father, they both joined the army and they went to Japan and they met in Japan. They fell in love in Japan. They got married in Japan. They made me in Japan. <laughs> wow then they rushed here and i was born in san antonio <laughs> so wow you have you definitely have some history with japan <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i was telling that story all everywhere i went in japan i would tell them that little story every little town we went to so it was funny so what pushed you to pursue your doctorate because there's not a lot of people who have their doctorate and um and from what I'm to understand, your dissertation was exploring administrative staff members' sense of purpose in selected Catholic university settings. Wow, you do your homework, sister. Yes, <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I, I, I have a master's. I should, I should hope that I do some research. Thank you. Well, then you can get your PhD too. You know, <laughs> I've thought about it, but I think my biggest fear is not finding the right university that will push and help me grow. Because I've heard so many horror stories of doctorate programs that are, because these spaces are are predominantly white. 
the, these spaces these spaces are very much like you know they they promote and they help and they even tenure people who are not brown or black and so you know um that's why I'm curious, you know, especially for the time in which you pursued your doctorate, what what moved you to do that? Well, I had always, I wanted to be a medical doctor from the beginning. And during the time that I was estranged from my father, I was communicating with my grandparents. My grandfather was a medical doctor, Dr. Torres, and I wanted to be like him. That was my dream since I was five. I had no dreams of singing, music, all of that, nothing. And that's why I kept trying to quit, you know, that whole time. I kept saying, oh, well, I got to go back to school. I got to do that. So when uh, University of Incarnate Word, which is a wonderful university, Veronique, it's, oh, I was just, did a function today, had a luncheon where the, where the Incarnate Word people were there. And uh, they asked me to do commercials for them, but they could only pay me with semester hours. That's how it started. You know, just, you know, it was like, well, you know, I'm doing all this stuff for them. So I might as well do these classes, you know. Okay. And I loved it. I was just like, it was like, feed me, feed me more input, input, you know. Yeah. And after that, they were like, how would you like to get a degree here? It says, we'll give you a scholarship. How could I say no? I was like, wow. I was like, well, God, I guess you want you want me to go back to school. So I went back and got my master's in education. Well, I got a 4.0 and I graduated with distinction. My professors came to me and with the vice president, they said, Patsy, we think you should go on to your PhD. I'm like, what? Yes, we'll give you a scholarship if you want to go on with your PhD and you still do all the promotions for the university. I was like, how can I leave that on the table? Well, God, I guess you want me to keep going because they said you can do it. You did the master's. You can do it. So I did the testing to get into the program and I did it. And it wasn't until like the very end, I was getting ready to, to finish the courses. And one of my classmates said, hey, what's it going to feel like when they call you Dr. Taurus? And I realized my dream was coming true because I was going to be Dr. Taurus. Like my grandfather, I wanted to be Dr. Torres. He had told me back then I could be a doctor of the spirit and the soul. And I could do preventative medicine with with my speaking. And I just felt like this is meant to be. And God is the one that guided me back to school. And I just followed his lead. And I did my best. I worked nonstop through the summer constantly. I would be at Kinko's at two in the morning when the band was sleeping in their in the hotels, turning in my stuff. I was in Japan sending stuff in. I mean, I just I never stopped. Never stopped. And then I finished. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that it was like you did commercials, got got semester hours, which yeah. I'm going to say this right now. That is about as expensive. That's a lot of money. And Can that's about that equals. No, I have no student loans to pay off. How awesome is that? I will s- clap, 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 clap. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Exactly. I'm on student loans, but for, for my master's, which I, I kind of yeah. knew coming into it, I knew coming into it that that was, that was going to be a thing, but, um, I'm hoping, like I said, to find a place that really fits me because I know like in your situation, you had an environment of people that, that really wanted you to succeed yeah. and do well. And in, you know, that those are so important when you find that. And so, um, 
I'm studying, um, uh, I'm, I'm doing my master's for information sciences um, with a focus on um, archiving and preservation. My entire focus is to help um, and continue to help our industry preserve and archive its history so that we can we can have a whole exhibit on Patsy Torres, the first queen <laughs> over at the Smithsonian. OK, we're, we're getting a new Smithsonian for Latino history. Come on, let's let's make that happen. <laughs> wow. So I, I think you're, you're going to be doing great things with unique. I already know that from the first time I met you. I knew I, I felt your passion, whatever you're doing. And then we had that Tejano Music Award uh, um, meeting talking about yeah. the technological part and social mm-hmm. media. And, and you had your handle on it way back then. So you're doing honestly, great. That, means, <laughs> that means so much to hear from you, honestly. No, really? Um, oh, wow. I didn't expect to get the podcast. I was like, it's about time. <laughs> It's like, girl, I've been waiting. Excuse you. <laughs> and and it's so funny that you mentioned University of Incarnate Word because when I was in in high school, I uh, I wanted my mom wanted me to go into medicine and and uh, and pursue a degree in medicine, and I was looking at University of Incarnate Word for pharmacy because oh. I was so into the pharmaceutical um, track at the time, but I just couldn't get to the, the, I guess the grades that they needed for that program. Cause it is a very rigorous and, and competitive program, but it's just to, every time I hear about university of art incarnate word, you know, I do hear a lot of great things from the folks who, who pursue higher learning there in regards to very specialized fields. Well, they, have, they do, they have specialized schools within the school. What I did today with a luncheon, it was a fashion show and they were describing all of the ways that they support the students, not just to do their fashions, but to do the marketing and then to go on and be successful in business with fashion and marketing. And it was like, wow, it was very impressive. That, I was like, proud of myself. That's a lot. <laughs> and so when we talk about, you know, your dissertation, how was, how was that process? Because I don't think people realize what, what goes into a doctorate program and, and how it works. I only know a little bit about it because, you know, I'm, I'm blessed that I have one relative who has a doctorate. my aunt, Nurmalinda. Melinda. She has a doctorate in education. And so yeah. I, I know a little bit, but I'm curious um, on your side, because you also have a doctorate in, in education. How does the process start and how do you get to dissertation and what is a dissertation? A dissertation is actually a research book is what it is. It's like it's that thick that you write and it's research you do. So you pick a topic like the topic you said that I did because I wanted to do something about God. But they were like, no, that's not your that's not your major. So I said, hmm, well, if I go to these faith based universities and ask them and ask them to introduce me to the most motivated people there and and very positive people and ask them questions, what makes them so positive? Well, they all said God and faith, (laughs) all of them. So I was able to put that in my dissertation anyway. And so that's what I, I wanted to give thanks to God and show that wherever you see success and compassion, God's there. He's the foundation. So the way it works is when you, you pick your what your topic's going to be, you know what you want your major to be, and they give you all the specific classes to give you strength in that. It's not like high school or the bachelor where you got to take all this other junk, right? Everything mm-hmm. you take is for your major. 
Then when you then when you get to the last part and you pick your subject like I did, then they say, okay, now you need to go and do research and you need to prove your subject. So I had to go and interview all these different people, take all the notes. I had to record them. And then I had to write it all down. I had to have all the questions and all the answers that they gave. And then I had to correlate it and collaborate it and make graphs and everything and compare them. And then you write up everything and then it has to be approved by your professors. They check, they check your spelling, they check your vocabulary, the way you wrote it and all this. And then after it's all approved, you have to defend it. And what that is, is you go with your research and you stand in front of a line of professors and they just start hitting you with questions. And what about this? Why did you do that? How did you come up with that? What was the theory behind that? How did the graph explain that? And if you can't answer them, you don't pass. That's it. And if you do answer every question, they look at each other and they come up, congratulations, doctor, on the spot like that. And it's like chills and goosebumps, you know, because they were asking me all the questions and I was like, boom, boom, answering them. Because you got to be prepared. That's what it's called a defense. You have to say, I'm claiming this and this and this. Prove it. You know, not like now on Facebook, people, oh, buh, 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 buh. you know, I'm like, hey, prove it. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're like, I have been through a dissertation. You need to prove what you're saying, <laughs> sir. <laughs> That's what my song Notices Falsas was about. You know, that little emoji, the little wallet with the little wings on it, just flying away. That's me right now. I'm the advertiser. This is an ad for me. Veronique, go listen to my album. I have two out right now. Crying and... La Novela, off of Next Gen Latinx Records. All jokes aside, please go listen to the music on your favorite streaming platform or buy it online at veroniquemedrano.com. And I mean it. Go listen to it. Go listen to it at your mom's house. Because, I mean, if you don't listen to her, at least listen to me. And that's been your paid ad. What is the importance on, do you feel, of cultural education? Oh, it's so important because that's how you need to understand other people. Because that's something that actually they taught us that in the doctoral program, because it, it's a it's a we're global now. You know, people from all over the world and there's different cultures and something you even a gesture in, in in some culture would be a big insult. If you did it, you wouldn't even realize that you're insulting somebody. Uh, the, the Chinese, they have cultures and they teach you to learn these cultures to respect people and for them to respect you. So it's just um, like you said, you were you were raised over in the border. You have more of the Mexican influence over there, and over here we had the Mexican influence too. But I guess because my mother was white, I had a lot of that influence too from her. So it, it it was also different. And then when I started traveling, and then my education changed a lot of that. Education, as you know, will change you. It changes your perception of yourself, of others, of the world around you. So that changed me a lot. And then traveling, traveling overseas and meeting these people and their cultures and everywhere I would go, I would I would get the books and I would study them and read about their culture. And I'd learn like little sentences so that I could so that I could talk to them in Turkey. I was Teşekkürlerim. and they were like, oh, blah, 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 blah. they think I speak Turkish. I was like, oh, <laughs> American, American. <laughs> I'd, like, like, English. <laughs> I'd say a few words, you know, and try to pronounce it right. And they thought I could speak it, you know, and Italy, you know, 
everything. Korea, I learned Munjab Sumnida, you know, just little things here and there, everywhere I went, like just, just to be courteous with them. And I'd learn like if I needed to bow or you're not supposed to look at them in the eyes or if you're supposed to take a gift, it's expected. Little things like that, just to respect them, you know, and it, it's a beautiful thing. Culture is a beautiful thing and we need to respect each other's culture. Now, when it comes to organizational leadership, what is something that you would say is important um, when it comes to that field and, and something that people should kind of take for importance that normally isn't? Well, of course, you just brought it up was, was the cultural differences, but it's communication. Communication and respect, it's very, very important organizational leadership. Uh, a big part of it is behavior. It's the way you act in others to respect others. The body human is to respect them that everyone is an individual and they deserve respect. And uh, that's a big part of it. In fact, uh, another associate of mine that we would go and, and uh, consult at different companies when they're having problems with employees and leadership, you know, not getting along and go in there and talk to them about communication and respect. I mean, you just can't be just yelling at people or harassing them. Or... It all comes down to respect and communication. And I can totally totally understand that and and even relate to that because when you're in these bigger organizations a lot of the times that's one of those things that just gets left by the wayside is is just common common decency of respect yes. and and understanding where another person's at and having empathy you're you're not and and empathy isn't a bad thing it's just no, you know not. empathy is understanding why someone is acting the way they're acting due to their social and emotional places uh, because a lot of the times we take that for granted is that social kind of circles and emotional spaces can affect the way someone interacts in, in an organization. That's exactly what they teach. They teach that you don't, you can't assume you know what someone's going through or what they're thinking. So you have to communicate with them. And that's, that's so important to be able to get along with people. Some people just can't handle power. You know, there are some personalities that if you give them some power, they just become tyrants. And those people need to be taken out of those positions because they're, you know, they're harassing everybody else below them. But sadly, there are those toxic people out there. I've noticed, you know, you've done different types of music, not just Tejano. You've done big band. You've done obviously rock. So there's one that I'm curious about, which is Blue Harmony. This is obviously a group that you use for special presentations and, and corporate conventions. So tell us a little bit more about Blue Harmony and, and why you would create a different group um, outside of what you're currently doing. Well, Blue Harmony was actually the, the first group that I played with when I was in high school as a trumpet player. We used the same name. Blue Harmony was just was a, a cover band that played everything. I mean, like I said, I was playing Little Joe on my trumpet. We were playing all the latest 80s and 90s and, you know, all that music. So that's what the new Blue Harmony does. I love playing 80s. I love doing Journey and Bon Jovi and Donna Summer and Madonna and, you know, and so... We mixed that up with cumbias and tajano and country and some oldies, you know, some Etta James, you know, and uh, mix it up and just do a little bit of everything. So we're able to do those big corporate gigs. And it, it's a lot of fun. I mean, people love that. The band loves it. You know, it's variety. And I'm and I think you're the same way. I'm the kind of person I need variety. I can't just go and play the same thing every single night over and over and over. I have to mix it up. 
I change it all the time. And my band is so versatile. They're great musicians. We all get along great. Good communication. <laughs> Good organizational <laughs> so, leadership. <laughs> exactly. So is it about branding, though? Because um, versus, you know, going out as Patsy Torres. Okay. Like, is it, well, is, Patsy it, Torres, is it? They think it's all Spanish. Mm, okay. You know, but you say, because a lot of these big corporations that come in, they don't know who Patsy Torres is. They go, we don't want a whole Spanish band. They'll hire me if it's like a... Uh, Hispanic, uh, or if they want a heritage, something heritage thing. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but to do those big corporate gigs, you know, just use blue harmony and, and the band loves it because they get more attention that way too. <laughs> They're blue harmony. They're not just under my name. I'm under an umbrella, you know, exactly. They love that. And I love to make my band members shine because they all have other talents besides what they do. You know, they can either sing or play a different instrument or, and I make them do it. I push them, make them do stuff. Ah, well, there we go. <laughs> the tomboy Patsy comes back out. <laughs> so Patsy, thank you so much for your thank time. You. Um, and, and, you know, just taking your time to, to talk with me about all your work. Now, the last thing I want to touch on is this recent project that I've seen photos of you at Freddie Records. Um, it's Tejanas Unidos por Cristo, if I'm oh, correct, is yes. the name. Yes, I'm so glad you brought that up. So, so tell me a little bit about that project, as well as um, there's also another one that you've done before, uh, Tejanos for Christ. So these are two yes. different projects. So uh, tell me about the Tejanas Unidas por Cristo uh, well, first and how that started. Like, it got together with Geneva. You know, Geneva, she's a fabulous singer. She has a mm -hmm. beautiful voice. And uh, she approached me and she said, uh, she's very, she's gone through a lot in her life and faith has, has lifted her up and saved her. She just recently lost her mom during all of this. And she's such a strong, strong lady. And she, like I said, beautiful voice. And she put together, she just started calling all of these women and calling, putting us together to do this. There's like 25 of us doing this, including Shelly Lattis, my other sister, Shelly. Mm -hmm. She's in there too. Rebecca Valadez is in there. Uh, who else? Yes. Aisha. There's a Flores. lot. I think there's over 28 women that are part of this project. I think she that's just that's added huge. Somebody, yeah. Oh I mean, my goodness, she, is she had two more? She wanted to make it an even 30. She wanted to make it an even 30. I'm sure. I know. She's like, if someone they're like, can I join? She's like, okay, come on. <laughs> <You know? laughs> there we but go. She, she picked a beautiful song and we recorded it with beautiful harmonies. We're shooting the video in two weeks. Oh, where are you guys so shooting the video? In the valley, shooting the video. Um, oh, nice! Uh, I think it's going to be in McAllen. There's going to the be different one? places where we're shooting okay. it. Okay, I mean, nice. She's got she's got these big ideas, and she does them. You know, that... like she had this whole idea to put this together and bring all these girls together. Remember, I was mentioning that there's so many girls now. Every one of these girls, beautiful and gorgeous voices. I mean, just I was like. One after another, I got to hear them. I'm like, beautiful, beautiful. I do thank you so much for your time and for coming on here and, and just talking to us um, about life in the arts, accordion to you. So thank you. thank you guys. Thank you so much, Patsy. And of course, everybody, please make sure to check out all the wonderful stuff that Patsy has to offer. Um, go ahead and plug your places that people can go find you on social sure. media and your website. Well, of course, the website is patsytorres.com. 
I'm on Facebook, but look for my artist page because my other one is full. And maybe I can talk to you later about fixing that because I don't know what to do. But I don't want two pages. It's a <laughs> there pain. we go. I have thousands there we go. of people trying to be my friends on that one that won't let me add them. And nobody can find the other one. So okay. you don't need that. But, uh, I can help you with that. <laughs> awesome. And, of course, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Um, yeah. So uh, thank you very much, Patsy, of course, for joining us on the Accordion to Me podcast, telling us a little bit about your experiences and your life accordion to you. And as always, everybody, puro amor, puro besos, puro tejano. Bye. party. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Accordion to Me. The team behind this week's episode includes mixing and editing by Juan Pablo Diaz, theme music by Rodrigo Montalvo, produced by Javi G from MD Media. In-person recordings were done at the Potify Studios and remotely through Riverside FM. Accordion to Me is distributed through Anchor, and you can stream Accordion to Me wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm your host and executive producer, Veronique Medrano. Puro amor, puro besos, puro text mix.